All right, good evening, everybody. I'm going to go ahead and find your places, and we will uh, get started. All right, tonight I've got uh, do something a little unusual. I've got two lessons in one for you. Okay, um, we're in Romans chapter twelve. We're going to look at be looking at one verse, verse nine, and we're actually only going to look at four words from that verse. And so our main lesson tonight is going to be from Romans twelve nine, and I've just entitled it "Love Without Without Hypocrisy." But before I get to that, and these two subjects are... Am I too loud? Is that good? All right. So these two subjects are related, and I'll show you in a minute how they are. So before I get to our, our lesson and our scripture in Romans twelve nine, I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight about how to read the Bible. How to read the Bible. You know, over the years, I've had a lot of new Christians come up to me, and I'm sure they've come up to Pastor Henry and... Pastor Chuck and Pastor Bill and, and probably even some of you, and they'll say, how do I read the Bible? And, and what I found out, what they really mean by that is the first thing they want to know is where do I start, right? Do I start in Genesis and do I go all the way through? Do I, maybe I start in Matthew and go through the New Testament? Do I pick a more practical book, maybe like the book of James? And, and that's a, those are all good questions. Um, the other thing they'll, they'll, they mean by that is, well, how much do I read? Or how do I read it? Do I read like a chapter a day? Do I read a, a book a month? Do I, do I just, you know, open the Bible and just put my finger down somewhere and start reading? Do I, do I read through some type of devotional? I mean, how do I read the Bible? And again, those are all good questions, and they deserve a, a conversation. But that's not what I want to talk about tonight. Tonight, I want to go a little bit deeper than that. And the reason I want to go deeper than that is because we are coming to an unusual passage of Scripture or a section of Scripture. Um, for the rest of Romans 12, Paul is going to be giving us very short exhortations and commands. So here's one example. This is verses 9 through uh, 13. So in five verses, Paul gives us 13 exhortations or commands. Let's just read them real quickly. Let love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful or lazy in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So very quickly, he's just given us command after command after command. Some of them are four words. Some of them uh, I think serve the Lord is only three words. And notice he doesn't give you any details. He just says do it. Doesn't tell us how to do it. Doesn't tell us uh, any, any details at all. He just gives us these 13 short uh, exhortations or commands. So let's say <clears throat> that you are one of those people that get up every day and you read a chapter. Okay? I mean, some people do more than that, some people do less than that, but let's just say for the sake of conversation that you're a person, and every day you get up and read your Bible. One of my earliest memories of my dad is I get up, and he's sitting at the kitchen table, and he's reading his Bible, and he reads his Bible every single day. I don't care if you go on a trip, you're in a hotel, he'll go down to the, to the little cafeteria or lounge, and he opens his Bible, and he reads it every single day. So let's say you're one of those type of people, which is a, which is a great thing. 
And on this particular day, it, your, your reading has brought you to Romans chapter 12. And so I think Romans chapter 12, if I remember correctly, has got about 21 verses. But in those, of course, is verses 9 through 13 with these commands. And so you read that chapter. So here's my question. At the end of the day, okay, you, you read Romans 12, you pray, you go about your day. At the end of the day, how many of those 13 commands do you think you'll remember? Seriously, how, how many of them do you think you would be able to remember? In fact, let me ask you a more important question. What effect did they have on you? When you just got up that morning for the 15 or 20 minutes that it took to read that chapter, what impact did those verses, those commands, those exhortations have on your life? In that 15 or 20 minutes where it says, let love be genuine, did that increase your love? Did that make your, your love more real? Did it increase your generosity? Did it increase your hospitality? Did, did it increase your desire or your ability to honor other people? I mean, just think about it. Let love be genuine. What did that take? Two seconds? In the two seconds that I held that command in my mind, what kind of effect did it have on me? See, I don't think it can change you. And by the way, isn't that the whole point? Isn't this the whole point? Isn't that why we read the Bible? It's not to, to check off a list and say, well, I did that today. I'm a good Christian. The whole point of it is to transform us and to change us. So this is my thing. Reading texts like this very quickly, holding them in your mind for a couple seconds, has little to no ability to change you. It just doesn't work that way. So if that's true, then how do we do it? How do we read passages like this? Later on in Romans, when we get to chapter 15, Paul is going to tell us the reason that he wrote this book. Let me read this to you. This is Romans 15, 15 through 16. I still feel like I got a lot of echo up here. Y'all hearing that or is that just me? He says, On some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Now, I love that. I, I, I've seen Christians over the years and they seem like they'll run to this conference and run to that conference and they're always looking for something new. And notice what Paul says, I'm writing to remind you of what you already know. Right? I'm not, I'm not giving you something new. He says, I'm writing to remind you of things that you already know. Notice what he says, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's three things he tells us in this passage. First of all, his aim or his purpose in writing the book of Romans is that Gentiles, which is us, right? may be an acceptable offering to God. He wants, us to, he wants to present us to God as people who are living holy lives and righteous lives, walking like Jesus. That is what he means by an acceptable offering. And his means of preparing us to be this acceptable offering is writing to remind us of things that more than likely we already know. But here's the thing. Paul understands that just writing the words and us just reading the words is not enough. Just reading the words that he wrote on the page is, is not going to produce the change in us 
We need something else. We need the Holy Spirit. So he says, notice in that passage, he says, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Notice the combination. Paul says, I'm writing to remind you. I'm giving you the Word. But that Word needs to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said, didn't He? Uh, They that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Both of those you need. Those, neither one of those can be excluded. So when, when Paul is writing Romans, the, the, the Word of God, these 13 exhortations that he's going to give us in verses 9 through 13, they're written so the, to- the Holy Spirit can take them and make them, those words, the means of changing us on the inside. That's how it works, Right? We read the Word, the Holy Spirit takes that Word, and He does something inside of us to transform us and to change us. Now, with that being said, what does that tell us about how we are to read the Bible? I'm going to give you three things. Number one, you cannot just breeze through Scripture. You just can't do it. You cannot just breeze through Scripture. Listen, there's there's nothing wrong with reading through your Bible. I know people that do it once a year. That's, that's okay. But if you really want the Scripture to change you, you can't just breeze through it. David said this in Psalms 119.15, I will meditate on your precepts, and I will fix my eyes on your ways. You know, in our culture, when we think of the word meditate, sometimes we think about uh, Eastern religions and these Buddhist monks, and the idea in Eastern religions when you meditate is you empty your mind. That is not what David means. When, when David says, I will meditate on your word, he means I will engage in focused thought on scriptural passages. That's what meditate. It doesn't mean you sit back and clear your mind. It says you focus your mind on the words that are written on that page. In other words, when we read Scripture, especially Scripture where it's just given us these short commands, we have to slow down. We have to, to linger over those words. We have to ask ourselves, what, is this, what does this mean? We, we have to think about them in relation to other Scripture. We have to ask ourselves, what, what difference should these be making in my life? We should think about practical situations where where that command could come into effect in our life. We should be thinking, thinking, thinking. You see, this is why we do what we do in this class. I don't know if you notice it. We started chapter 12 two months ago. It took us eight weeks to go through eight verses. Listen, I could have easily covered those eight verses in one week. But that's not what we do. See, I want the Scripture to get in us. I don't want to just go through it. Anybody can do that. Why have we taken 16 months to go through 11 and a half chapters? Because we want the Word to change us. We want the Word to transform us. That, that's what it's all about. Joe, listen to Joshua. I'm going to give you two scriptures, one from the old and one from the new. And I want you to notice the connection. Joshua 1.8 says this, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to what? Do. You see the connection? You think about it, so you do it. You think about it. You meditate on it. You you, you let it linger in your mind, and that leads to change in your life. That leads to action. It leads to doing what the Word says. We did the exact same thing in Romans 12 too, just a few weeks ago. 
Paul says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you or change you into a new person. How? By changing the way you you think. See, there's the connection there again. Transformation in your life, your actions, the way you behave are all related to the way you think. You've got to think. We can't just read a chapter in the morning and say, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm a good Christian. That's not, a, that's not the point. The point is, I want it to get inside of me. Think about it this way. You can fly in an airplane over an, an orange grove. And you can look down at that orange grove and it just goes on for acres and acres. And man, you can say that is one impressive orange grove. That looks awesome, man. And you just zoom right by it. That's not what we want to do. We want to land the plane. We want to get out of the plane. We want to walk into the grove and we want to look at them. And we want to pick it. And we want to taste it and see that the Lord is good. That's how you read Scripture. That's how you read the Bible. We want that the same way that fruit gets inside of us and does its work. You don't get that flying at a 500 miles an hour over the orange grove. You get it by getting in, walking into it, and taking your time. All right, I got another problem here. Hold on. This happens sometimes. If I was at work, I would just ask questions. This is what I normally what I do. All right, hold on. Anybody, are we hung up up there? We're good? All right, give me one second. See if we can get it going again. All right, there we go. I went back a few. Okay, so that's the first thing. We don't just fly over it, right? We take our time, we linger. Here's the second thing. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit. When you read the Bible, you have to admit that no matter how long you stay in it, no matter how slow you take it, no matter how much you think about it, without the Holy Spirit, it's just reading words. It's just reading words. So we have to admit that we need the Holy Spirit. We have to ask Him, Holy Spirit, take this word and transform me and change me. Depend on Him to make the word produce what it commands. Depend on the Spirit to make... We have to do our part. We have to read it. We have to meditate. We have to think. But we rely on the Holy Spirit to do the work inside of us. Number three, and I'll just add this in. The whole time we're doing this, we keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Why? I'll give you three, four reasons. Number one, you're going to fail. Right? You're going to fail. None of us are going to live up to all these exhortations and commands... Every single one of us are going to fail. We're going to fail to live the way that we are exhorted to live. And when we fail, we go to Jesus and we ask forgiveness. And we get up and we move on. Right? That's, that's what He's there for. Number two, He is our righteousness. These may be some of the most beautiful words that's about to come out of my mouth you'll ever hear. Listen, I can get up tomorrow and fail miserably. And God will not see me any differently. And I can get up tomorrow and I, I can succeed incredibly. And God will not see me any differently. See, my righteousness is based on what He did, not on what I do. I'm not any, I'm not, I don't go any higher in His estimation or any lower based on my successes or based on my failures. I am righteous in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. 
Thank God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Number three, we, we look to Jesus because He's our example. Right? He lived the perfect life. He's the one that we are trying to emulate. Paul said, I believe it's, I forget where it was, but he says, you ought to walk also as he walked. That's what we're trying to do, is we're trying to be like our Savior. Why? Because he's the point of it all. Isn't he the point of it all? Isn't that why we're doing what we're, isn't that why we're here tonight? Because of him? It's all about him. We look to Him. I'm not trying to earn my way into heaven by being good or being better. I'm just trying to glorify the one who paid my way. That's all I'm trying to do. And that's all we should all be trying to do. So as we come to Romans chapter 12, verse 9, this is what we're doing. We're stepping into the orange grove. We're not going to go fast. If you want somebody to go fast, you probably need to go home and find somebody on YouTube. Um, other than other than me, I, I, I'm on YouTube. I forgot about that. <laughs> but that's the point, right? We're going to walk through the grove. We're not going to fly over it at 500 miles an hour and say, "Wow, that's a nice passage of scripture." No, we're going to we're going to take it slow. We're going to linger. We're going to we're going to taste. We're going to eat. We're going to see that the Lord is good. So we're going to linger for a few weeks over these exhortations. We're going to pray as we go that the Holy Spirit. Will, will change us by what we're going to see and hear and, and eat. And all the time, we're going to be looking to Jesus. One of my favorite scriptures, Titus 2.14, talking about Him, says, He gave Himself for us to redeem us, to buy us back from sin, to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. See, that's where He's trying to... He wants us to be zealous for good works, zealous to be changed, zealous... To be transformed. Okay, Romans 12, 9. We finally make it. Four words, Paul's first exhortation. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Literally, it means in the Greek, let love be without hypocrisy. All right, now this is an incredible four words. I'm going to linger over two of them tonight. The first word I want to linger over is the word love. Okay, now I'm going to remind you of things you should already know. In fact, I'm going to remind you of things I taught just a few months ago. Okay, and the first one is what is love? You remember a while back when we talked about this, I told you that our ideas about love, unfortunately, are influenced not by Scripture, but by our culture. It's influenced by the books we we read and the, the songs we listen to and the movies that we, we, we watch, right? The, the videos and the YouTube influencers and all this other stuff is influencing young people to think this is what love is. It's not influence. We're not, we're not uh, gaining this knowledge from the Word of God. I read this quote to y'all a few, uh, a few weeks ago. This is by Dr. Deborah Annapol, who has a Ph.D. in psychology, and she said this, Love is a force of nature. However much we may want to, we cannot make it happen any more than we can command the moon and the stars and the wind and the rain. And that's most people's idea of love, isn't it? In fact, that's our terminology fits it. We fall into it like we fell into a hole. And we fall out of it just like we fell into a hole. I, I fell in love. It just hit me like lightning. And guess what? I fell out of it. What can I do? 
just, it just happens, man. You fall in, you fall out. You got no control. I can't control this thing is what our culture says to us. Now, listen, if that's true, we got a real, real problem as Christians. There's a lawyer that came to Jesus and he asked Jesus one day, he said, he said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the whole Bible? The greatest commandment. And Jesus said, here's the number one commandment, love God. Love God. And he said, oh yeah, by the way, you didn't ask, but let me just tell you what the second commandment is. Love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. I read this quote years ago, love God, love your neighbor. Everything else is just explanation. That's what it's all about. Love God, the two greatest commands. Everything else is just explaining us or helping us do those two things. But here's the thing. If love is a feeling or emotion that I can't control, if it, if it strikes like lightning, if I, if I can no more command it than, or, or control it than I can uh, the wind or the rain, then how, why would God command me to love Him and love others? That seems impossible. I'll give you another one, Romans 13, 8 through 10. Paul says this, For the commandments are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You want to fulfill Scripture. You want to do the will of God. You love your neighbor. But once again, see, love has always been the, the righteous requirement of what the law is requiring us. All the rules and regulations in the Old Testament, it's all about love God and love your, your neighbor. But again, if love is some feeling and emotion that just strikes like lightning and you've got no control over it, then how could you ever hope to be able to do what Scripture commands? I remember struggling this with as a young man. I just didn't understand that. How, God, how can you expect me to love my enemy? I, how am I supposed to feel mushy feelings about somebody that I don't even like? See, it turns out the good news is the Bible's definition of love is nothing like that. Absolutely nothing like that. Whenever the love is described in the Bible, it's always described using verbs. It's always described using action words because that's what love is. Love is an act of your will. It is a deliberate choice. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. How do we do that, Jesus? How am I supposed to do that? Here's how you do it. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. There's not a mention in there of any type of feeling or emotion. None. Zip. Zero. Love your enemies. This is how you do it. Pray for them. Bless them. Do good to them. That's a choice. That's a choice that anybody can make. Anybody. You don't have to have any kind of feeling or emotion to do that. Let me give you another one. John 14, 15. If you love me, Jesus said, if you want to love God... Keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. It's that simple. It's a choice. You get up every day and I make a choice. Keep His commandments. That's how you show your love to the Son. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands love your wives. How do you do that? You give yourself up for her in the same way that Christ gave Himself up for the church. That's a choice. There's no mention in there at all about any kind of emotion or any kind of feeling. 
Foreigner wrote a song in 1984, I want to know what love is. Well, here's the definition. Love is a decision of our free will to act for the good of another. Let me say it again. Love is a decision of our free will to act for the good of another. That's all it is. That's what biblical love is. Now, by the way, and I'll say this in just a second, that doesn't mean that love has to be absent of feeling and emotion, but it certainly doesn't require it. And see, because of this biblical definition, you can see I can choose to love God. I can choose to love my neighbor. I can choose to love my enemies. I don't have to wait on some emotion to overcome me. I just walk out and I make a choice. Again, some cases it's going to be full of emotion, but it doesn't require it. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Paul says this, let love be without hypocrisy. So what Paul is saying is when you make a choice to act for the good of another person, when you make a choice to pray for another person, to bless another person, to do good for another person, don't just do it because the Bible says to do it. Do it without hypocrisy. Do it so it is real. Now, I want to linger on that second word for just a few more minutes, and that is the word hypocrisy. One of the best definitions I've ever seen about a hypocrite is this. A hypocrite wants to seem good rather than be good. A hypocrite wants to seem good rather than be good. I'm sure you all know that word hypocrite comes from the Greek word for actor. It's a pretender. It's a phony. It's a liar. it's It's a sham. It's someone that's putting on a mask and pretending to be one thing when inside they're completely something different. Paul says don't do that. When you love, when you make a choice for the benefit of another, don't do it as a pretender, as a phony, as a liar, as a sham. Let it be genuine. Let it be real. A couple things about hypocrisy before we move on from Scripture. Hypocrisy shows itself in two ways in the Bible. One is the obvious. We make the outside look better than the inside. Matthew 15, Jesus says to the Pharisees, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart, the inside, is far Far from me. On the outside, they're wearing the right clothes. They're saying the right words. They're, they're going to the right church services. They're, they're putting their ties in the, in the offering bag. They're doing all the right things, but on the inside, they don't love God. They don't love God at all. And he called them hypocrites. Another way that hypocrisy comes out, according to Scripture, is a hypocrite tends to focus on other people's flaws to take attention off of their of their own. Jesus said this in Luke 6:42. How can you say to your brother, "Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye" when you don't see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite. You phony, you pretender, you you liar, you sham. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's. Now, I want you to think for a moment about all the things that Paul could have said about love. Paul could have said, let let your love be magnanimous. Let it be great. Paul could have said, let your love be earnest. 
Let your love be full of zeal. Let your love be joyful. Let your love be courageous. I mean, go, go and show love in, in ways that are just full of courage. He could have said any of those things, but he didn't. He didn't. He said, let your love be real. Let it be genuine. Let it be without hypocrisy. And I want to know why. Why did he pick that term? Why did he say, when you do good for others, right? When you make a choice to put others ahead of yourself, don't let that be something that you're just doing for other people to see. So other people can pat you on the back or so that God can pat you on the back. Say, man, what a good child you are. He didn't say that. He said, let it be without hypocrisy. Don't pretend. Let it be real. Well, I'm going to go back to the beginning of Romans 12, and I want to read this to you, and I want you to listen very closely. You remember when he started this chapter, he said this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be, be transformed by changing the way you think, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then he goes on, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. That means think with sound judgment, with right judgment, with a sane mind, not an insane mind. Think rightly. You see, what we learned back then is that someone that has a renewed mind and is thinking rightly is a mind that puts God first, right? Y'all remember that? and self-second. Think about all the people that are living their lives and, and, and they're just going about their lives and they don't know there's coming a day. How insane is it to spend your whole life for this amount of time when there's an eternity waiting ahead of you? That, that's, when you think about it, it's insane. To invest everything in this temporary earth when there is an eternal paradise waiting on you. But see, someone that thinks with a sound mind understands that. They understand who they are in relation to God. And so they go from being uh, self-worshipping to God-worshipping. They go from being self-glorifying to be God-glorifying. They go to saying, I am second and God is first. That's a person that has a renewed mind and a transformed life. By the way, that is the exact opposite of hypocrisy. That's the exact opposite of hypocrisy. See, the hypocrite is totally consumed with themselves. Totally. It's all about them. Every situation they go into, it's what does this make me look like? How are people going to see me? What are people going to think of me? And so his, his or her actions are all geared around me, 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 me. That is their entire focus and that is their consuming desire. So what I want you to see is Paul has not left his theme. When he started out in chapter 12 telling us to be transformed by, by, by changing our minds so that we put God first, he's just carrying that forward. Now he's saying let love be genuine. Let the things that you do be real. Because see, that's the result of a renewed mind and a transformed life. Listen, I'm gonna, I, I put this up there. I remember years ago when I was teaching the youth group, I showed them this slide. And I said, I want you to just think about that. You see, Christ did not come to make bad people good. Christ came to make dead people alive. Some of us really need to think about that. 
Because we are consumed in our life with being good. And we're always failing because that's our, our goal is to, I, I didn't achieve this good thing, or I didn't achieve that, or I didn't say the right word, or I didn't do this and I didn't do that. As if somehow we've let God down or we, and all of this stuff. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. So what I mean by this, God is not interested in putting lipstick on a pig. That doesn't interest God at all. God is not interested in behavior modification. If you want that, go to a psychologist. Go to a psychiatrist. Go to a self-help guru. They'll help you with that. God's not interested. Christianity is not about cleaning up the outside. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He said, on the outside, you're like painted coffins. All nice and pretty and shiny. And on the inside, you're full of worms and rot and and disgusting things. He's not interested in that at all. He's not interested in putting lipstick on a pig. Matthew 23, let's read it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of extortion and what? It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about self. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside. Then the outside will be clean. See, that's what God wants. God wants to change us on the inside. He's not just interested in changing outside actions. That doesn't interest Him at all. He wants to transform you into a new person. And how does He do that? We read the Word. And we linger on that Word. And we meditate on that Word. And we ask the Holy Spirit to change us into what that Word commands. You see, folks, the outside has no ability to affect the inside. Listen to this, Colossians 20 through 23. Paul says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, don't wear your hair a certain way, don't wear your dresses a certain way, don't eat this way, don't go this place, don't do that, don't do this. Paul says, why do you submit to all that stuff? And he goes on, referring to all things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Too many people are walking around in the church and they're so concerned with the rules and the regulations and I got to do this and I got to do that and, they have, and they're, they're reading their Bible and they're going through it at 500 miles an hour and they're saying their prayer and they're checking off their list and they're forgetting why he came to transform us, to change us from the inside out. And I I put myself, if I spend as much time lingering in the Word, lingering in the Word and thinking about the Word and meditating on the Word as I do about worrying about rules and regulations, see, all that stuff's going to come. All that stuff's going to come. But God wants to transform us. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 if you go back and read, there's this, it's just a great story. I preached a, a sermon one time called Amazing Grace. And I went back and compared the Old Covenant to the New. And if you go back to the Old Covenant, it's all about the outside, right? God set up all these laws. And He knew it. By the way, He knew it wouldn't work. He, he knew they couldn't do it. That was the whole point. It was our teacher to bring us to Christ. 
So he sets up all these rules in the Old Covenant, and, and every time the people would say, oh, we'll do it, we'll do it, and every time they would not do it, right? So God comes along and he prophesies through his prophet, and he says this, that was the Old Covenant. Behold, I create a new covenant. And in this new covenant, it's going to be completely different. I'm not going to leave it up to you. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit. I'm, I'm going to take out that heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh and I'm going to put my spirit inside of you and I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. I'm going to take care of it. See, I love that. It, it, all it tells me, all my job is, is just to yield. Just to yield. Let him do his work. I don't have to, to, to spend my every day running and trying to keep up and trying to be, be, be. Just linger. Linger in the grove. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, folks, God doesn't just want us to act good. He wants us to be good. That's a huge thing. He doesn't just want us to act good. He wants us to be good from the inside out. Hey, I'm going to open up the altar. I was thinking this afternoon that I think uh, something like this. I think, by the way, we all... (laughs) We all fail to linger, don't we? I'm I'm just like you, right? Sometimes I get so caught up in these lessons, and I'm so studying, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about how am I going to say this and how I'm going to present that and what am I going to do here that I forget to linger, because it's not just about this; it's about this. I'm just like that. We all get so busy. We we all are, are, are are so chasing whatever it is we're chasing in life. And sometimes we just forget to linger.